Good morning. Today's scripture reading can be found in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verses 1 to 18, and it can be found in your pew Bibles on page 13. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age." In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Thank you, Brenda. Today we're in the Old Testament. In fact, the first book of the Bible in Genesis. I think before we start, I think we're going to need a little bit of a background here just so we all kind of start on the same page. Genesis 15 is part of a larger story about God revealing himself to a man named Abram. And it's also the story of how Abram responded to God. This was originally a family story passed down through the generations. It was orally passed down through the generations, spoken and retold. It was Moses who finally wrote it down while the Israelites were wandering in the desert. Now, if an American author were to write this story, chapter 15 in Genesis, it would probably take 400 pages. Moses writes it in 18 verses. Succinct, everything we need to know is there. Leaves us with a lot of questions, but what we need to know are in those 18 verses. We first meet Abram at the end of Genesis 11. He and his wife Sarai have no children. They have moved from the city of Ur in the Chaldeans to the town of Haran. And both these, both these places were in Mesopotamia. 
roughly near where Mosul, Iraq is today, to give you an idea. In Genesis 12, the Lord tells Abram to go to the land of Canaan. That's where Israel is today. And the Lord promises to give Abram land, family, and an inheritance. Abram is 75 years old at the beginning of chapter 12 when he leaves and goes to Canaan. His wife, Sarai, is 10 years younger. She's 65. But by the time we get to our passage today, Genesis 15, Abram's in his 80s, and Sarai is in her 70s. Well, God will eventually change Abram's name to Abraham, but that is at least 15 years after Genesis chapter 15. All right, with that kind of background, we're ready, I think, to start today. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories. They reveal you to us and the response of men of faith, people of faith to you. Help us understand what's going on here. Help us to apply this word to our lives. Help us to know you deeper and better. We thank you, O Lord, for this, your word. In your name, amen. Well, the passage we're looking at today, Genesis 15, is a very, very significant passage to to understanding the entire scripture. It's cornerstone. It's key to understanding not only scripture, but our relationship to God. And especially important in this chapter is verse 6, right? Verse 6 is cited by the Apostle Paul in Romans, Romans chapter 4. It's the cornerstone of his doctrinal argument for salvation only by faith in Jesus and not by works. Paul also cites verse 6 in his letter to the Galatians. And again, he's arguing that salvation is only by faith against those who are preaching legalism. And a third time in the New Testament, James, in his letter, cites verse 6 in his argument for faith in Christ. Verse 6, the key verse to Genesis 15, a key verse in the Bible. Abram believed the Lord... And he, God, credited to him as righteousness. That's a pretty simple statement. Seems very understandable. But wait a minute. Didn't Abram have to believe God at the beginning of chapter 12 when he left his hometown and went to Canaan? Abram did that, isn't Didn't he believe God at that point? And wait another minute. Between chapters 12 and 15, Abram builds three altars to the Lord. One at Shechem, one at Bethel, and one at Hebron. And scripture tells us at each of those altars, he called upon the name of the Lord. Didn't didn't Abram believe God? God at those altars when he built those altars? Well, the answer is yes and no. Obviously, those those responses took faith. But the Hebrew word believed is used for the first time in Scripture in Genesis 15, verse 6. 
And if that's not enough, the Hebrew word righteousness is used for the first time in Scripture, also in verse 6. You get two for the price of one today. So even though there are a lot of other things going on in chapter 15, and there are, we could spend weeks looking at this. This morning, we're going to focus our understanding on uh, understanding verse 6. And what we'll come to realize is that Abram's faith was not merely an intellectual belief in God. What we'll see is that faith is costly, but the reward of living by faith is priceless. All right, let's start by looking at the first half of verse 6. Abram believed the Lord. Something happened at that point. Abram believed the Lord. First time the word believed is used in Scripture. So I think really for us to have an understanding of what's going, going on here, we're going to have to go back and understand the culture at that time. Our Lord Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago. Abram lived 2,000 years before that, 4,000 years ago. Different culture, different language. I mean, it's not just a cultural barrier, it's a language barrier, and that that's, gives us a, a little bit of a harder understanding. When we read Scripture, don't we read it from our perspective? Don't we read in, you know, uh, our, our world? Well, let's go back. Let's go back 4,000 years ago. Back then, the cultures where Abram lived, now, he lived in Mesopotamia for 75 years, and then for the next... 10 to 15 years till we get to, to Genesis 15. He lived in Canaan, and he spent some time in Egypt also. Each of these cultures had an array of gods. They had, they had their own, each had their own pantheon of gods. Um, and it's interesting to note back then when, when in those cultures, the, these cultural gods were regional gods. Mesopotamia had their gods. Canaan had their gods, the Egyptians had their gods. You know, in a situation where one king would defeat another king, well, his gods were, were stronger than the other gods, right? But just in case, he would take the defeated gods in, into his, his array of gods, too. They just kept adding gods to their collections. Well, archaeologists confirm that those, those cultures also had fertility gods, now, a person would turn to a fertility god to ensure growth of crops. You do that for rain, to keep, you know, uh, uh, to keep away the locusts, to have a, a good crop. You'd turn to a fertility god to have an increase in your livestock, your sheep, your, your, uh, your goats, your camels. Um, you'd even turn to fertility gods for children, especially a son, an heir. Now, that's the culture that was ingrained in Abram at the start of Genesis 15. Now, idols, we talk about idols, we talk about gods. The idols were the representations of those gods. Well, idols could be carved in wood. They could be fashioned out of clay, terracotta. They could be made out of silver or gold. But it's that representation of the God that you used to manipulate the God. You, you, you needed that, that idol to cajole, to bribe the God 
to get what you wanted. And for instance, I'll give you for instance, in, in, in some cultures, they had rain dances. A rain dance was a way to cajole a god to, to make it rain for the crops, right? Likewise, burning incense was another way to cajole and manipulate the god into giving you what you wanted. This is what you did in those cultures. Besides the pagan temples where the gods were worshipped, each family in those cultures would have their own household gods. When Rita and I went to Israel, we, uh, we got to see a lot of those, those idols. Um, most were in the terracotta, um, but these were all excavated from archaeological digs. And they were all, these, were, these household gods were small. They were like salt shaker size, one, two inches. Uh, it was not uncommon back then for families to have an array of gods, a, a dozen or more household gods. Archaeologists also tell us that in Abram's hometown in Mesopotamia, they worshipped the moon god. In fact, the family names, Terah, Abram's father, Sarai, Abram's wife, Milcah, Abram's niece, Laban, one of Abram's nephews. These were all names that were associated with the moon god. And then, just to, to absolutely confirm this, you know, we, we family... Family history, family secrets are not secrets within the family. They're secrets to those outside the family. And Joshua was someone who, an Israelite, a Hebrew, someone inside the family. He confirms this idolatrous past here. At the end of Joshua, Joshua is passing the torch. He uh, had led the Israelites into Canaan, um, and now he's about to die. And he's just, uh, in his speech to them. He wants to encourage them uh, to look just to the Lord. This is what he says in Joshua 24, verse 2. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. We have to note that Abram, being the oldest son of Terah, would have inherited the family, family's household of gods. Um, these things the Hebrew listener back then would have understood. Something that we need, to, we need to learn to put ourselves in that setting to find out really what's going on here. What does God want us to know in this passage? And uh, another thing to note is that when God called Abram to leave his homeland back in Genesis 12, he didn't command Abram to give up his idols. He just said, go, and I will bless you. All right, with that background information, we can now turn to Genesis 15. In verse 1, God says to Abram, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Now, when God says something like that, it's like when he asks a question. When he asked Cain, where is your brother? God knows the answer to that. When God says to, to Abram, do not be afraid, God knows what's on Abram's mind. Abram, he's in his 80s. His wife, Sarai, is in her 70s. 
They have no children. Particularly, they have no son. Especially having no son was considered a curse in the ancient world. No one to take care of you when you were old. They didn't have social security. They didn't have you know, uh, senior housing. No son. No one to bury you. No one to pass your inheritance on to. No one to pass your lineage. It's a disruption of the inheritance pattern. Um, that was a big thing in the ancient world. On the other hand, Abram was exceedingly wealthy. We were told he had many sheep. His herds of sheep and goats was very large. I'm sure he had many camels. We were told he, was, he had much gold and silver. He had a large inheritance to pass on. And we look at verse 2 and 3, where Abram says, You have given me no children, no heir. This is what's foremost on Abram's mind. He's fearing for his future. God knew that. There's a very strong indication here. The implication with our background, the implication is very strong that he was beseeching all those fertility idols, wanting a son, manipulating, cajoling, bribing them. Because in that culture, that's what you do. Well, the English gives us, the English translation of the Hebrew gives us a little bit of an idea of what's what's going on here. In verse uh, 3, Abram says to God, you have given me no children. That's a little bit of a, a clue that maybe Abram is trying to manipulate God. You have given me no children. But when we go back to the original Hebrew, it becomes very clear. And very clear that Abram is trying to manipulate God. In Hebrew, uh, verse 3, in the Hebrew, verse 3 would, would read something like this. And Abram said, look, that's a command, look, you did not give me a child. And look, another command, a servant of my household will be an heir. Prior to Genesis 15, God spoke to Abram, and Abram responded with obedience. This is the first recorded conversation between God and Abram. Abram. This is the first and only time Abram used commands directed at God. And you and I know that's not a good thing to do. You really don't want to direct commands at God. Unlike the gods, the gods who wanted to be conjoled and bribed, you could do that to the gods. You could do that to the idols. Manipulate, control, command them. They wanted that. The Lord responds to to Abram in verse 5. And in the Hebrew, he says, look. That's a command. Now. That's another command. Look now at the heavens and count. That's a third command. Count the stars if you can. The Lord gives him three commands right back. The Lord responded to Abram in a way none of the other gods 
could or would respond back. And the Hebrew listener would understand, we should too, that God was saying, I'm not an idol. Don't talk to me as if I am one. And verse 5 is not in there by accident either. The Lord was really saying, look at the stars. I made them. You don't need a moon god. These are all things that the Hebrew listener back then would understand, that, that time and changes in culture and changes in language that we don't, we don't, we don't get from our translation. Oh, and Abraham, Abram got the point. He responded by believing. At that point, we see verse 6. Abram believed the Lord. Now, the Hebrew word for believe is amen. Amen. Yeah, we get our word amen from that. So be it. Verse 6 is the first time it is used in the Bible. And this word for believe, amen, means having an absolute certainty in trusting God and his word. And this is what happened at verse 6. Abram figures out that the Lord God is not merely a regional God, but that he is the sovereign Lord God. At this point, we have to picture Abram putting away all his fertility idols and all the other household idols in his collection. Picture him throwing the wooden idols into the fire, if he had any. Picture him smashing the terracotta idols, melting down any of the idols he had made out of silver and gold. Make no mistake, this faith was costly to Abram. It changed his life, what he trusted in, what he hoped for, what he so strongly desired. It cost Abram his family ties. He couldn't go back to Haran or Ur in Mesopotamia. They worshipped the moon god there. He now worshipped the Lord, not the moon god. Picture a Muslim who comes to Christ in faith. Can't go back to the Muslim world. It changed the way Abram worshipped for 80 years plus before. Instead of bribing and conjoling and manipulating the gods and idols to get what he wanted, he would now trust the Lord. And that meant waiting for the Lord to fulfill his promises. You can just picture that luxury car commercial that was on repeatedly several months ago. The grandmother sitting in the back seat. Can you hurry it up? I'm 80, you know. At verse 6, Abram believed with certainty that the Lord God was sovereign and completely trustworthy. Faith in the Lord was costly to Abram, but next we're going to see that his reward for living by faith was priceless. And that brings us to the second half of verse 6. And he credited credited it to him as righteousness. And he, God, credited it to him, Abram, as righteousness. Now, righteousness, obviously, is the key word in the second half of verse 6. The Hebrew word for righteousness, tzedekah, tzedekah, is used for the first time also in verse 6. Again, this is two for the price of one. 
Righteousness is the reward God is referring to in verse 1. Back in, in verse 1, the Lord said, your, re, your reward is very great. Your, your very great reward. But we know from Abram's response in verse 2 that Abram is thinking God means this reward is more earthly possessions, more sheep, more goats, maybe more gold and silver. And we know this from verse 2 because Abram asks, what can you give me? Basically, I've got everything I need. It's not a response like John Rockefeller, I need just a little bit more. He said, no, I've got everything. Uh, but God was not referring to worldly riches back in verse 1, nor in verse 6. The term credited in verse 6 can also be understood as he reckoned it, he imputed it, uh, he imputed Abram's faith to him as righteousness. And that gives us the understanding that the reward referred to in verse 1 was something only God could give. It wasn't something earned. It was only given by God's grace. God's exceedingly great reward was righteousness to Abram. All right, so let's... Let, let's Step back and just review where we are right now. The story of Abram is a story about God revealing himself and Abram responding. In Genesis 12, the Lord doesn't tell Abram to give up his idols. He just says, go. And he makes this offer. I will, I will make you a great nation. Abram, Abram, Abram is my kind of guy. He doesn't have a Bible app to give him an understanding of what's going on. <laughs> Abram, uh, of course, Abram doesn't even have the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to Moses some 650 years later, after Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, Abram figures it out that the Lord is sovereign God and completely trustworthy. He figures it out on his own. So he throws out his idols and the gods they represent, and he determines to trust the Lord God only. And it was at this point that God credits Abram's faith to him as righteousness. Now, righteousness means this, to be in conformity with the will of God. To be in conformity with the will of God. But another way righteousness can be understood is by having full standing before God's presence. And then in verse 18, the Lord makes an unbreakable covenant with Abram. This really solidifies uh, the point. And you've got to understand, God didn't say, if you believe, then I will covenant with you. The covenant was part of God's exceedingly great reward and it was made by God only after Abram's faith was, was credited as righteousness. Oh, Abram's reward for living by faith from that point on is priceless. Now, I stressed a present tense there. It's not was priceless. It, it, that's true, but it is priceless. Now, listen to this. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is conversing with several of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the priests in the temple. They ran, they ran things in the temple at that time. And the topic is, was the resurrection of the dead. 
In Mark chapter 12, verses 26 through 27, Jesus replies to the Sadducees regarding the fact that the dead rise again. Have you not read in the book of Moses, Exodus, or in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to Moses saying, I am, present tense, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, end quote. In a different setting, Jesus replies to a group of Pharisees. We see this conversation recorded in John chapter 8. In their conversation, they're talking about Abram, and again referring to him as Abraham. And our Lord Jesus said to them, Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. End quote. Abraham is alive right now and has full standing before God because of verse 6. Verse 6, Abram believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. Well, we, we did see that Abram's faith was costly to him, but now we see the reward of living by that faith was beyond anything he could have imagined. The reward of God's righteousness is priceless. This covenant of Genesis 15, the covenant between God and Abram, passes down to us through Jesus Christ in the covenant of his blood. God credits his righteousness to us through faith in Jesus Christ. It is by this covenant, God declares his faithfulness to anyone who puts his or her complete trust in him. That's what we share with Abram. Abraham through faith. So how about for us today? Like Abram, faith is going to be costly. Like Abram, faith for us is going to cost us our idols. My friends, my brothers, my sisters, it is time for us to put away our idols and to trust the Lord fully in every area of our lives, just as, as Abram did now, let's not kid ourselves. We live in, our, in a very idolatrous culture, and faith will be costly to us. Just like Abram, faith in God has to cost us our idols. Idols stand in the way. They keep us from God. Now, how do we identify them in our culture? We don't have those little salt shaker-sized idols we, we turn to. But idols, idols keep us from God. They stand in the way, and we've got them. Very simply put, idols are those things or people to which we give our trust and focus to instead of the Lord. I remember Pastor Kevin has pointed out several times over the last year that good things can become idols, right? They're good things, but when we're not aware of it, when we give them too much attention, they cross the line and they, they stand in the way of our faith with, with God. Idols. Our idols are revealed in our attitudes. How do we know them? Well, let's just follow our... You know, in politics, they say, trace the money, follow the money. Well, 
For idols, you follow the, the attitudes, follow our attitudes. Honest answers to several questions will point us to what could be potential idols in our lives, those things which we keep, which, those things which keep us from living with full trust in God. And here's some questions. Here's some questions for us to uh, seriously consider. What gives your life meaning? Your job, your career? Children, grandchildren, what gives your life meaning? Sports, shopping, technology. What do you desire? What are your ambitions? What are your priorities? What's, from uh, several weeks ago, what's your bucket list? What do you justify? We compartmentalize in our culture. You can have it all, God, my whole life, but not this little area. Compartmentalization. What do we compartmentalize? We compartmentalize pornography, alcohol, gossip, reading the horoscopes. There's a a spiritual anchor attached to the horoscopes. It's not as innocuous as you think. And if you're doing that, try stopping a lot harder than you think because there's a spiritual reality, a spiritual tug behind that. What are you anxious about? What are you obsessed over? Abram, Abram was anxious. He was, he was from the scripture, obsessed about not having a son. That's how we know he was turning to fertility gods. Do you resent someone or are you angry at someone? Pride is a spiritual anchor firmly attached to idols. It it makes releasing idols very difficult. What do you think a lot about? What are your must-haves, your want-to-haves? Consider carefully and honestly the things you cherish. Do you value them more than the Lord? This is where personal honesty before God is necessary. Just like with Abram, our wants, our hopes, our dreams can point us to our idols, to our false gods. And this is very humbling to us as God's people because we, we are self-centered by nature and our culture celebrates self-centeredness. Believing is more than just intellectually acknowledging Jesus Christ. We know, we know this also, but In James chapter 2, James points out that even the demons believe in God. The demons have intellectual assent to God. So we see the difference. What we need to see is that believing in God has the element of repentance with it. Now, godly sorrow may accompany repentance. In fact, godly sorrow is a good thing to have, but it doesn't. It's it's not included in the term repentance. Repentance is a choice. Repentance is turning away from our idols and to God. Godly sorrow helps us to turn away, and it helps us to keep away from them. Idols have this spiritual magnetism. They draw us to them. Chains that God frees us from, we like to go back to them. So godly sorrow protects us from them, but that's not repentance. 
What we see in Genesis 15 is that Abram repented. He turned from his idols and he turned completely to God. That's what we need to do. It will take honesty and humility on our part, but it is time for us to put away our idols, all the things that stand between us and the Lord. And while we're at it, let's stop trying to manipulate God as if he were an idol, right? Let's stop. Let's make a deal. Lord, let, let's stop that. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't obtain God's favor. Faith is costly, but the reward of living by faith is priceless. So let's conclude here. Genesis 15 takes place some 650 years before the Ten Commandments were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. 650 years before the law was given, Abram threw away his idols and fulfilled the first commandment. The first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods besides me. We don't remember him as Abram the idolater. We remember him as God sees him. Abraham, friend of God. That is how scripture tells us God sees him. And when the Lord clothes us in Christ's righteousness, he doesn't remember us as we were. He remembers us as the person he transformed us into by his righteousness. Brothers and sisters, it's time for us to put away our idols. Faith in God is costly, but the reward of living by faith is priceless. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you are exceedingly kind and gracious to us, and you're exceedingly patient with us. We thank you. We thank you, oh, Lord. In the stillness of the moment, in response to your word, we ask you to uh, check our hearts. We ask you to bring to our, our minds those things which stand between us and you, our idols. Oh Lord, we put them before you. We want you to take them. We want to believe as Abram believed. We want to know fully that the reward of our faith is indeed priceless. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit to making it real in our lives. We give you our praise and our thanks now. Amen.